0: Hey, welcome back to the Big Esports Podcast. Now, you might have seen across a lot of the news because of the coronavirus shutdowns, there's been unprecedented numbers of people reading news, consuming digital content online, both social and gaming, um, playing games, you know, things like Steam hitting concurrent record peak player numbers. So what I want to do is bring on Bobby from Stream Stream Hatchet's a tool that allows you to really deep dive into the numbers around various different streaming platforms. And I wanted to ask him, what's their take on the situation? I know they get the numbers from the source, and I know that these guys are really experts at breaking down the numbers and presenting them in a way that's understandable. So we talk about that and so much more on this podcast. And there's some really interesting discoveries to be made. It's a bit of a nerdy chat and it did happen early in the morning for me, but I had a great time speaking about this. Hopefully you have a great time listening to it too. Enjoy. For those of you who have also lost your employment or are looking to skill up, we're trying to help here at Big Esports. We have an esports fundamentals course which is helping people to understand an entry point into the employment within the esports and gaming market whether you're coming straight out of college university high school or whether you're trying to transition from another sport to provide support for all of you we're offering a pay as you feel model so you can head to bigesports.gg forward slash education if you've lost your main line of employment and you can't afford to pay right now at all that's perfectly fine we're able to offer it up to you for free you can pay now you can pay later you can choose whatever you want the course is usually $127 AUD, you can take it now for whatever you feel is appropriate or whatever you're able to afford. Hopefully, this will help a few of you get back on your feet in the short term and also the long term. We're live. How are you? I'm doing well, Chris. How are you? Yeah, good, mate. Just uh, gone outside for the essential activity of walking the dog and um, Mm -hmm. sitting here now at 8.30am with a coffee in hand, ready to to chat about numbers. An interesting thing for me or a thinking piece for me was, okay, the Call of Duty League has been announced. This is obviously a while ago. You know, franchise spots, 25, 30 million dollars. But if you look at the viewership of, of Call of Duty and the Call of Duty League in the past, it's, I would say it's almost sitting in a tier two aspect. You know, you're looking at a lot of the world finals. They're maybe getting a hundred thousand current viewers, 150,000. Mm-hmm current viewers. Whereas if you compare that to a minor Counter-Strike tournament, say like an Intel Extreme Masters tournament, so not a major, you're seeing from from what I've seen, pretty similar numbers as well, 120, 130. But then if you're going to the top end of Counter-Strike to say the E-League um, finals, which I think was the first to break a million concurrent viewers, which was, was at 2018 or 2017, somewhere around mm-hmm. that time, you know, that that's a, a six eight X increase in those in those numbers. So I'd be interested in seeing from you, like have you seen that general trend when the Call of Duty League is released? Has that brought has that brought more broadcasters to the forefront of Twitch, or is it simply just Warzone? And and how do the numbers compare for Call of Duty now versus Call of Duty like a year ago, two years ago?
1: That's that's a great question. Um and you're really like hitting the nail on the head there of you know, the League was not a tier one esport over the last couple of years. And I think when you when you look at, uh, you know, the evolution of esports, particularly in Call of Duty, you know, you saw a model that was much more community driven. It didn't have as much investment from the publisher. Yes, there was a little bit. Um, and then you had the kind of arrival of Overwatch League about two years ago, where they really shifted the model and they said, okay, can we create a sustainable, uh, I guess, you know, model, financial model around eSports? Um, and how do we do that? And so I think when you look at Call of Duty, you know, there was a lot of doubt in that because Overwatch viewers uh, definitely decreased year over year. I think, you know, off the top of my head, the first year kind of was around like 80,000 concurrents on average. Um, seventy thousand the next year, and then this year I believe they're around like fifty thousand concurrents on YouTube. With Call of Duty, you know, you would have expected the same trend because you know you had something that just totally flipped on its head. You know, we're going from community driven. You have a lot more, um, you know, personalities or esports teams involved in that. You have like brands like Optic Gaming that have now mm-hmm. basically are infinite esports, which has basically now ceased to exist. Now that has totally been rebought and rebranded by Immortals, and the personalities behind Optic Gaming are now much more involved with. I think it's uh, Huntsman. So when we when we saw it go to YouTube as well, which um, is probably number two in the gaming category and number two around esports and their esports market share, we weren't as confident. You know, we didn't think that they would hit you know high concurrence around that. That mm. being said, I mean they're doing around like fifty seven thousand. Um, which is really impressive given that I think they were at like 20,000 the year before. So that's a double viewership. Yeah. Now, you have to take that with a grain of salt because that's a different structure, right? Last year was much more based around events. Um, additionally, it wasn't one premium broadcast. You had like the beta, the Bravo channel, the Delta channel, the Alpha channel. So there were a bunch of different events going on. Um, and on the viewership side, you know, it's not concentrated eyeballs on one premium broadcast. So I think it's a little bit early to see the effects of that from a financial standpoint. It's interesting with, uh, you know, the outbreak of COVID, which I'm sure we'll get to in a minute or so, because I think really the exciting part about those leagues, the Overwatch and Call of Duty, um, as someone who's been to both Grand Finals, Overwatch League, is the in-person experience. You know, there's nothing like what, um, you know, Activision and Blizzard have put together in terms of taking over these major sports stadiums and creating that ecosystem, that environment where it feels like you're at, you know, Red Wings game or you're at a Rangers game or something. So mm. we'll give them time, but I, I will say like I'm much more impressed with the numbers than I thought I would be.
0: I know this is like a, a difficult question, but it's it's one that always comes into me is is can you can you categorize things? Can you say a T1 esport should have X amount of average concurrent viewers? on Twitch versus a tier two versus a tier three? Like, can you put things in buckets like that?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think, um, yeah, we can, right? Like, uh, from, from the sideline, especially for a company that works in the uh, analytics space or on live streaming audiences, absolutely. Like, you know, I would say any any league that does about above 40,000 40, concurrence, like, that's a significant audience because you're starting to get into the ballpark of uh, television. You know, I think um, Nielsen released some reports around average audience. And I think the League of Legends, which I believe at their peak um, for North America did around the number that was released was like 21 million around, of average audience across the world that puts them ahead of like golf on NBC or baseball um, and puts them pretty close to basketball so those are, those are some real numbers and that that I definitely call something like a tier one eSport in terms of those tier two you know I'm probably looking at like the 15 to 20,000 I think most ESL tournaments um, or the pro league does around like 15 um, the uh, Rainbow Six does around like 20 or thir- 15 to 20 I think. Mm -hmm. Um, and then tier three would be kind of anything below that. So all that being said, it does, there, there are these like intangible KPIs that you need to talk about as well. Um, unfortunately, we can't really look at them right now, but I think that ties back to the live events. So how many people are going to these events, buying tickets, purchasing merch, you know, drinking beers, um, and kind of fueling, uh, the investment or fan investment?
0: Yeah. It's always hard. It's like, yeah do you do you look at purely the stream numbers or do you look at so much more which is the ecosystem you know mm-hmm. that's that's involved with that what what are the organizations that are playing in it um, you know what's the prize pool that's afforded to it what are the influencers that are paying attention to it you know what are the the casual stream numbers like we were just talking about versus the esports stream numbers and and things like that too so yeah you're definitely you're definitely right in that in in saying like I it could be. be
1: hard. I also could yeah. be wrong. It could be yeah. very easy. I mean, they're putting uh 25 million dollar valuations on this, so that's not the space yeah. I play in. But um, you know, I could be right. I could be wrong. You know, I don't know.
0: Yeah, for sure. So, so just before we started recording, you, you sent me through a document as well, and you had some general, um, some general stats to talk about with with COVID nineteen. And you know, I think from some of the content I've done in the past, and and as well as why I brought you on today is that Twitch streamers I work with are saying they're getting more viewership. Um, websites gaming and eSports websites like dot eSports and game and also tech news mm-hmm. websites Tweaktown are the owners of all three you know they're saying they're seeing unprecedented numbers on their site I've seen increased viewership stats I've seen steam announce you know 22 million concurrent players which is the highest they've ever had or a concurrent people logged in so I'd love to get your cliff notes from from your knowledge and from stream hatchets knowledge kind of a bit of around the grounds as to where the numbers are right now
1: yeah absolutely um this is uh so in terms of people uh, saying like esports is big, esports is big, esports is like massive. I think this is something we see all the time. Like, you know, I, I read a stat like the esports industry is supposed to reach above a billion dollars this year. So, I you know I think that from what we've seen at like a high level, there's definitely been an impact of kind of this stay at home stay at home economy. There's a lack of sports content on TV. You know, people want to be entertained. That being said, it's not like a hundred percent increase in esports viewers or game stores. You know, we're seeing about probably an 18 to 20% increase overall. And that's that's fairly significant. But, you know, what does that mean in the grand scheme of things? Like let's put that in context. So what you know, kind of we're fortunate um, as an analytics company to have such access to historical data. So we can look over year over year over year to see like, is this abnormal for Twitch? You know, we know Twitch is a new platform, not that new, but new compared to like YouTube, compared to Facebook, that's really starting to gain major traction. You have um, Premier League on there, you have NWSL, you have Thursday Night Football. Like you have a lot of companies, not just in esports and gaming, but in traditional sports and media that are starting to invest on this platform. So all that being said, one thing that I noticed looking back at this historical uh, data was the 2017 to 2018 period of growth was actually much larger than the uh, 2019 to 2020 that we're in now. Um, so over that period, you, know, you saw 15% uh, over the entire period, you saw 15% growth rate of, from year over year. This year, you know, you're only seeing a 13%. So that's less than that two-year period. That being said, what I see that's kind of interesting um, when I look overall at that whole um, uh, time period is the growth of that two-year period, two year period, so 20, 2017, 2018 to 2019, 2020, that growth was decreasing around now. So it was still a higher growth rate, but the percentage growth was decreasing, so going down. This year seems to be increasing around that. So what that tells me is, you know, I think there's a lot of interest in what's going on in this platform. It's going to continue to grow. um, And we will see probably not as great of growth at that two-year period, but definitely um, sustained as a result of COVID.
0: Mm. And I think, you know, part of what you were saying too, to add extra weight to it, is the whole esports versus gaming as well in that you know my company is called big esports and most of the time people come to me saying chris i want to do esports and then often the answer is you don't really actually want to do gaming and really what you want to do is gen z millennials and the way to talk to them is through gaming so maybe you know Launching your own professional league isn't the thing you want to do. Maybe it's just some basic activations. Maybe it's like the stayed home GP they did with the MotoGP. You know, they got like, what was it, six or eight races just sitting on a couch with a PS4 controller in hand and Mm -hmm. just playing a, a couple of casual rounds against each other. You know, they're not really playing for prize pool. They're not really playing for any sort of high level of competition. You know, I'm sure some of those guys maybe have never even played the game before. Maybe they just got the code and installed it and went and played it. But yeah, looking at, at those different ones, and it's interesting you were saying about that that growth. So what was so what was happening during 2017, 2018 for that for that growth to take place, and and where was the growth seen the most? Like any specific game titles or specific tournaments? Yeah, I mean,
1: I, I don't even have to tell you the the data around this. I, th- I think um, you know we we know the answer here. It's Fortnite. You know that's that's the game that really changed everything um, from a live mm-hmm. streaming perspective. Like if you think about. Five years ago, what kids were watching on uh, YouTube, it was Minecraft or it was Roblox. Um, and then those kids were kind of maturing, coming into middle school age. They wanted more edgier content, more mature content. this game comes out of nowhere and suddenly releases this uh, battle royale game mode where anyone can participate. It's hyper competitive. Um, it's super rewarding if you win because there's such a what is it a one percent chance technically of winning, right? One in hundred. So, and that game took off. It really started to amass massive popularity, kind of fueled by another game called um, Player Unknown's Battlegrounds, which was kind of harder for audiences to access because that's a game geared primarily towards uh, PC players, whereas Fortnite's available on mobile, console, PC, whatever. Um. Streamers start to take off. Everyone's playing the game and suddenly you have Drake playing with Ninja, um, and reaching an audience of, I think it was 650,000. So over half a million people, um, concurrently watching at any point in the broadcast. So I think that, that game's explosion really fueled, um, massive interest in this platform. Um, and it's still growing in terms of that audience is still larger than it was, but the rate of growth is not as big as it was um over that uh, period that makes mm. sense. And I actually just retract my stat, so it's only it's only five percent. I guess it's a uh, over the two year period, it's only five percent growth that makes sense.
0: yeah, okay. yeah, interesting and. It's, I love it when you answer my my next question before I ask it, which is around yeah, Fortnite. Is it, I know. Is I, hate,
1: I hate when we do that. Come on,
0: because <laughs> <laughs> you know it's, it's and for those people who aren't kind of embedded in the industry and don't know, like it's a very common thing to for everyone to say kind of dead game. You know, if if mm. a game isn't as you know, some of the people who originally kind of grew up with playing the game didn't play it anymore. They think the game's dead and the industry's dead. But obviously, by the stats you were saying, it there still is some growth. And I think part mm. of it is now there's so much saturation. Like I'm learning about a new literal kid with a hundred thousand subscribers. Like every day, I've never heard of before. And you know, there's fourteen-year-old kids that are winning four hundred thousand-dollar tournaments like the Australian Open. Uh, you know, with a, with an Aussie guy who beat plays yep. from FaZe and Cloud Nine and and uh Flashpoint from China. You know, he's beating these plays he's he's beating Benji Fishy from London, like, you know, and no one's ever heard of him before. He's not signed to an esports team and then boom, he's, you know, whipping out the controller and winning this tournament um that he's that he's qualified to play in. So it's it's crazy that kind of industry. And it's it it's been awesome to see Fortnite be like I don't think the great equalizer is the right word, but just the the way that gaming has kind of hit the mainstream. I remember mm. I have this story from my girlfriend that I always go back to where she works in the lighting industry and, and electronics. And two kids were in her store running around. And instead of like what, like you were, what you and I probably did many years ago is say, Hey, let's play cops and robbers. Let's run around pretending to arrest each other and shoot at each other. They said, let's play Fortnite and they mm. ran around and pretended to shoot at each other. And that's some crazy cultural. You know, kind of defining moment, I think that that really hit that there. And kids now using Fortnite as a new skate park; it's the place to hang out. And mm. talking to some teachers, they were saying that Fortnite clips would go viral inside the school, where everyone would yeah. be like, "Hey, everybody, look at this awesome rocket shot that Bobby from from Year Nine did on Twitch last night!" Like, mm. and everyone would be, be, be passing that video around school. And also, part of it was the change. You know, one of the teachers I talked to was saying that for all of the kids, it was about the content that was generated in the game, it was in no way at all about the skill in the game. Mm-hmm. And that's the opposite to when I was in school. It was always who's the better player, who's better at Dota, who's better at Battlefield, who's better at Call of Duty, who's better at Counter-Strike, who's better at Red Alert 2 um, than each other. But now it seems to be so much about who can do the cool trick shots. And maybe maybe part of it is why FaZe is so big because that's where they come from. And they yeah. were kind of that counterculture back in the day where they got hated on by a lot of people. They're just stupid kids doing 360 no-scopes on Xbox 360. Like, that's mm-hmm. ridiculous. Why wouldn't you just want to be a good player? But now, I mean, now look where are. They're obviously, you know. Yeah,
1: team. no, huge. I think I saw Forbes stat yesterday, like the fourth most valuable um, esports team or influencer agency um, in the world, kind of among the gaming category. No, I mean, that's a great point, right? It's like, what's interesting to me, um, and I'm sure you had this growing up as a kid, like You know, video games were so taboo or like regulated, like gaming was bad, right? Like, you know, kids were supposed to be outside, um, you you know, playing cops and robbers, whatever it was. And now you have, you know, it's fascinating, like especially with COVID right now, it's like more socially acceptable. Like, no, don't go and, you know, play with your buddies in the park. Go play Fortnite with them online where it's safe you know so it's mm. odd um the other thing that i think you alluded to with the trick shot is kind of like how our um uh perception or interpretation of like media has changed so much and it's so much more about like what's what's now what's fast what's happening whereas you know t- 5 10 years ago like watching you know 10 minute 15 minute youtube was the norm like that was the goal if you could edit a 10 minute YouTube video, you're gold, you know, and now you have platforms like TikTok, where it's all about one minute of content, being gold in that one minute of content. Or Twitch where, you know, yes, it's a longer form of content, but you have to immediately drive engagement and passion and interest from the audience. So um, with that, on our side, one of the things I love is the level of analytics that you can get from live platforms. You know, we hear all the time, especially dealing with uh, traditional media companies. Like, oh, talk to me about views. Like, you know, what's click per view, and like, how do we measure that? Um, and for us, you know, we're trying to teach a different na- narrative. It's about I minutes mean, watched, or it's about chat messages, or it's about subscriptions. You know, it's it's really the level of analytics that you can pull from these live platforms to understand like the greater story. Almost makes these platforms more valuable than television, where you know it's a closed environment and it's not even. I heard uh, someone at ComScore actually say this to me: uh, most TV viewers aren't active viewers; they're passive viewers because they're on the couch and they're on their phone or something, right? They're not actually watching TV. Whereas with these live streaming platforms, you have an audience. Like right now, look at us streaming, right? We have uh, Volted here and Dave. Uh, ch- in the chat, engaging with us. Um, and I apologize, guys. We should be and Philsberg uh, up here. Uh, we should be engaging a bit with you more. But um, it's really fascinating that you know marketers, uh, publishers, whoever it is, get to see this level, um, to optimize content around that.
0: And another thing that we discussed a little bit before, and and this came up in some recent content I did with with AJ from Live TV or Doctor Doom, as he likes to be known, mm-hmm. is who. Like, who are these people that are coming with the increased viewership? You know, Steam is, if, if Twitch is seeing this growth in, in numbers with growth in viewers, is it people who are spending more time on the site as a whole? If Tweet Town is seeing more readers than ever on their site, let's say that they've normally got a hundred thousand monthly active users. Have they still got a hundred thousand, but those people are reading every day instead of every two days, every three, every four? Are these Twitch, um, fans that are coming back into spending more time on site? Are they spending six hours on the stream where they usually spend 10 minutes?
1: Yeah, I mean, I actually I have an interesting little data point um, we were looking at uh, the other day, or yesterday, actually. Uh, so we have the ability to basically pull out uh, unique uh, chatters on Twitch. So anyone that's like watching for any given amount of time, um, and then we can pull some really cool insights around uh, kind of the aggregate group. Um, and what we've seen from a unique perspective is, you know, at the beginning of February, you saw about like nine million average chatters watching um, on the site a day. Um, and that since has actually increased uh, fairly significantly to like twelve million chatters. So that's a that's a pretty big uh, significant. and And I'll note that, you know, that's not going to include anyone on Twitch. Like you might, if, if someone doesn't have a profile on Twitch, we're not able to track that. If someone's watching through a stream embed, we're not able to track that. If someone's watching through the game client, um, and there's a Twitch link in the game client, we're not able to track that. Um, but anyway, that's a fairly significant lift. Now, those viewers earlier this year in February watched around 70 minutes of content on average. So the average viewer watched, you know, 70 minutes of a live stream. Now, my thought was okay that's that's a pretty big jump you know you're talking about a couple million more people watching mm. content that average watch time has actually decreased to 52 minutes of content so that's 10 minutes less so what it what does that mean i mean i think maybe we go back to the saturation thing where there's so much content that i don't know what to watch or i've grown bored of this cuz there's mm. too much to find there's too much to sift through the other um Side that you could look at is, uh, you know, I think for Twitch, for Twitch viewers like me, you know, I got, I got my stream up kind of in the background while I'm like working. So I'm still watching and engaging with that, but usually I'm multitasking and doing something else. Perhaps now that we have more time on our hands and we're really stranded in home, we need to be even more engaged. So we need to be playing the games versus just watching them.
0: It's mm. a really interesting stat, you know, less less time spent because the... The obvious assumption would be, you know, people are out of work; they're at home; mm. they're just going to sit around watching Twitch streams all day. But, but no, not necessarily. And it's interesting to see that, yeah, those kind of daily active users or those or those unique chatters is going up. So it's definitely, you know, people. And it'd be interesting to see uh, these completely new people who've never been on the platform before. And that's something that a friend brought up to me: is it, mm. you know. Part of these news websites getting these extra hits is that parents that are Googling, like, what the hell is esports? So I can understand how yeah. to talk to my kid. And now they're just starting to read some of the articles about the industry. You know, they're jumping on Tweet Town to learn about technology and what's coming out. So they've got something in common to talk. They're going to Per and dot esports to learn about the esports market and the general gaming market and things like that. The other question I had for you, and AJ and I talked about this too on stream, is valuing a concurrent viewer versus a YouTube view. And this is a bit yeah, of a. Yeah, no, that's a fun this, question yeah this is a bit of a tangent and and part of my discussion with him was you know I've worked I worked for four years for a Taiwanese tech company, and two years for a US one, and mm. they see marketing very differently. Um, the same way that a startup would see marketing very differently to a red bull. Red Bull's in that space now where they're just looking at their overall mission and vision of the company. They can do a can in hand and they don't have to really have direct ROI, you think, on a lot of what they would do. Like when that Felix guy jumped out of space, I very much doubt that they're able to say exactly like, okay, when he's jumping out of space, we sold this many more cans because of, directly because of him, mm-hmm. because they have so many marketing efforts, similar to Coca-Cola. So it's difficult sometimes when a brand will come to me and say, Chris, here's a budget of 20,000 USD. Um, we want you to promote this Minecraft bundle and we want a million digital views full stop. Mm-hmm. And you go, well, it has to be YouTube because there's no point going to Twitch. Like a million views on Twitch is very expensive. But the part of the question for you is like, what is that worth? Like, yes, it's a, it's a highly engaged user, but if it's a high quality product that's being released, is it worth retargeting that user over and over and over again? Because if they've already purchased it, they're still you're still paying for their attention when they've already purchased your product. Similar to when I used to sponsor land parties for many years at Thermaltake, thinking, well, this is a 400-person land party. Reattendance is somewhere around 60 to 75 percent. So, am I just constantly giving away free prizes to people who aren't ever going to buy my product because they just keep getting things for free instead? So i would be interested to yes. Yeah, I
1: mean, and, and there'll be a magic world someday, uh, where we tear down all the walled gardens, and marketers will just be able to like plug in the unique identifier, um, in a very GDPR or CCPA compliant fashion, and I'll be able to directly tie to this influencer marketing activation, this television buy, this whatever, and it all plugs back nicely. And I, go, and I can go, oh, like, you know, my esports audience is up twenty six percent you know, or we're churning like 20% of our ad content on influencer marketing, like that's not a good use of our budget. So I, I wish there would be a magical world where, you know, I and perhaps uh, Stream Hatchet could be part of that marketing crack that we event invents, um, you know, where we can all tie that back. But um, it's an interesting question. So I think, Uh, you know, let's, I, am going to even back up a little bit further and talk about like television and kind of radio and stuff like that. And kind of how, where we're at now, um, and all that. I mean, so with television, you had like average audience, which was just a guess. It's an estimation, right? On like how many active viewers are watching at any given moment of the broadcast. And how's that calculated? You're calculating by survey data. So you're really just kind of like throwing rocks against the wall, trying to calculate it. Now... That being said, I'm not trying to dis like a Nielsen metric or anything like that. There's a lot of thought and data science and analysis that goes into those kind of calculations. Um, and then next, we moved to digital and we got impressions and views and all that. Um, and the, the challenge there is you're just getting that one value. Like, what does a view mean? Like, tell me what a, tell me what a view means on YouTube versus Facebook. I'll tell you right now, a view on a view on YouTube is more valuable because that viewer has to watch six minutes of content before they are considered a view. but but now, if if that's our metric for views, what what if we go back to Facebook? That's ten seconds of content. Is that is a view the same platform to platform? What about Instagram? What about Yahoo? What about um white labeled sites like CNN, where they have their own unique methodology of calculating a view? So that's why, what I find really interesting about streaming and concurrency is we actually can create a metric that is truly cross-block. You know, and I'm not just talking um, VOD to uh, live. You know, we could tie to website traffic, we could tie to podcasts. Um, and that's minutes watched because I can make a calculation based on okay, how many concurrents were here at this moment? Because a concurrent is a concurrent anywhere, mm-hmm. and then how long do they? You know. Consume content, and I can take that anywhere. So, um, is a view more valuable on Twitch than is a view more valuable than a concurrent? It's hard to make that distinction. You know, I don't, I don't know if you could, but a minute is a minute on Twitch on YouTube, and a minute is a minute watched is actually a metric that the YouTube dashboard provides.
0: Mm. Yeah, It's not a straightforward answer, <laughs> which is I know. which is, which is so annoying. That. Yeah, it's so, it's so annoying sometimes. I mean, you know, with one of our clients, we've, we've got, we've got a best guess, um, that we've put through with them. You know, you can, you can plug in the click through rate that you can likely expect. You can plug through how many views you expect them to get. Let's say if it's a social media campaign, and then you can go down the conversion funnel from there and say, okay, if they get us a million views, they're likely to get us a hundred accounts, 200, 300, whatever your whole conversion is. So then we can reach out to them based on the CPA and the influencer and say, look, here's our offer of a minimum guarantee for you plus a commission basis. And that took us, that took us a week to do and two massive Excel documents where you can change all the numbers in it and it looks nice and pretty. But still it's, it's hard sometimes because then that doesn't work with Twitch because, you know, I know people who have 115,000 subscribers on YouTube who make next to zero dollars. And I know someone else who gets an average 400 to 500 concurrent viewers on Twitch TV who's earning about 200, $250,000 a year. So then what does that mean? And and sometimes I have just, when I've been pressured, said something like maybe one concurrent viewer is, is worth about 10,000 YouTube views. You know, if you, yeah. if you're going to run a single stream with them, like maybe, I don't know, but and, yeah, it's so I it's a
1: space where I'd rather just find the unified metric cross platform, which I, yeah. which I believe is a minute watched. And then we can get, okay, let's set a, a broadcast length that's defined. So, and I think Netflix, this, we could do this on Netflix too, too which is really cool. So Netflix, mm. let's say Stranger Things comes out or Tiger King, we'll use that because that's the you know, relevant example. Yeah. That's 10 episodes, right? So call an hour an episode, that's 10 hours of content. Mm. So if you have a million hours of content watched by everyone, and then you divide by that 10 hour length, you get an audience size. And you can do the same for podcasts, you can do the same for Twitch, you need the same for everything and that really is like an average minute audience and that is a universal cross platform metric that okay. being said that this is my recommendation as someone that measures streaming platforms you know all these KPIs like your beautiful spreadsheet have to match the campaign i i don't care about what they do after they watch the content my whole job is to increase the amount of content they watch mm. your job as the marketing agency is to get more you know, Red Bull sold or whatever it is.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's definitely part of it. And, and that's when it just becomes even more confusing because, you know, there was that, I think AJ shared that um, content story again. And I can't remember who it was. There's a famous influencer. You know, she had like 3 million followers. She released a clothing line and sold 10 t-shirts. Mm-hmm. So, you know, while she did get all of these views, people followed her for whatever reason, but it wasn't because of that. And, you know, I know another guy who had 175,000 followers and now 200 who's got a seven figure business selling t shirts mm-hmm. and hoodies. So his audience is very engaged and they're very active, but also they're exactly the right demographic for him to be pushing through. It was a really funny, we, we have like a version of the Onion in Australia called the Batuta Advocate. It's usually like a localized version. Just like a Zoomer, basically. Zoomer. Yeah. That that one. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know, and fake, you know, fake articles. And, but Mm -hmm. usually it's, you know, obviously based around a lot of things that happen in Australia. And also to explain the joke, we trades people in Australia, like builders and carpenters, we call them tradies, um, Mm -hmm. electricians, all this kind of stuff. And yeah, there was a good, uh, there was a good thing from them. It was like, you know, bikini and teeth whitening companies keep paying, you know, Hot-looking 19-year-olds to promote their products without realizing that 99% of their audience are tradies on the job site just flicking through, liking their photos. That's <laughs> and I always thought that was pretty funny. But that's where you know that's where I guess like the interpretation of data comes in, and that's where things just always get so confusing. You know, mm-hmm. when you're talking to brands, like you know, what's a concurrent viewer worth, you know, versus a versus a uh, YouTube view, and what's a live fan worth versus a, a concurrent viewer you know is one live fan worth 50 concurrent viewers i mean who knows it's still only one person they've only got buying power but you can extract like you were saying you can extract beer from them you can extract well, let's, you know yeah allegiance.
1: let's let's go back to that one for a minute so i mean in terms of what's it what's it worth uh you know a youtube view is 6 minutes of watch time right mm. concurrent is any amount of concurrence there it's not so mm. at
0: that point i would say the youtube view is more valuable Mm. Right. Yeah, that's true. Well, uh, but then also, didn't you say like the average concurrent viewership is um, or well, the average viewership is fifty fifty one minutes, right? With the with the current numbers, that's
1: the uh, that's the average amount that a concurrent viewer would watch. But a concurrent is still concurrent. You know, if I just took a one minute point, now you, that's that's the whole thing where you have to add context to how much content are they watching, right? So you have an average concurrence watching. I mean, I guess the way to do it would be you know, uh, this would assume that every Twitch stream is six minutes. And then you would be able to go back to your uh, kind of YouTube equation there. So, no, it's an interesting space to play in. I mean, mm. why why I push uh, for minutes watched or some calculation based off of that is that is a metric that YouTube provides and is al- already providing. So, um, and it's a metric you can get from podcasts. The metric you can get anywhere is minutes watched. So... Why, why aren't we all moving towards that, um, you know, golden metric? That's true yeah. platform, right?
0: Yeah. And I think, and part of it is for me too, you know, I've, I think I've purposely remained ignorant to Twitch mm. followers. I couldn't tell you how many Twitch followers mean anything because for me as part of that too, it doesn't mean anything for me. It's all about the concurrent viewership. But then you're right. It's like everyone kind of values things differently. You know, mm-hmm. how many subscribers you have on YouTube, I feel has a little bit more of a correlation than Twitch followers because at least when, um, certain websites, you know, release something on or release a YouTube video that gets pushed to my phone, where I know a lot of people turn that off on Twitch, mm-hmm. for example. Or if you're following 20 Twitch channels and 10 of them are live, like you can't watch them all at once. Whereas my watch later list on YouTube yesterday was like 85 videos, you know, down to mm-hmm. like 75 because I watch a few over my lunch break every day. So it's always hard. The, one thing that I should have touched on before, I really want to ask you about too, is what are, what are the numbers of influencers and in gaming versus the numbers of esports increase? Like we're still seeing some yeah, tournaments operate online. Are the esports, are the esports ones growing more? Uh, the influencer ones growing more? Like I'm really interested to see. And obviously the numbers are one to one because there's so many more influencers and esports, but yeah, just some percentages would be interesting.
1: No, I mean, I was, uh, actually looking at, I got, I got a question on that today. So. In terms of like the minutes, total minutes watched by the platform, um, Mm. I don't have the exact stat for you, but I know that gaming content. uh, Actually, I think it's about gaming content on average represents like you know gaming content, influencer content is about like ninety percent of the content consumed on Twitch on any given day. Ten, just ten percent is that little ten is just going to be esports. So the interesting thing that I've seen. over this period is gaming content is growing pretty rapidly. Like I, I could just tell you that based on what I showed you already, right? Like Twitch is growing at a rate of 20%. Now, the interesting thing, um, that happened a couple of weeks ago is you had all these sports cancellations. I and mean, then you had a lot of esport cancellations as well because the esports leagues, you know, they're, they're still in person. People have to show up to a stadium or to a broadcast studio or whatever to compete. That's just the model that was set up for like LCS or Overwatch League or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. Um, What I saw then was a pretty steep decline year over year. Last year during Q1, you had, I think it was 175 uh, premium esports events that we tracked in Stream Hatchet. This year was 75. That's 100 less events over a whole quarter. Mm. So there's a lack of content. Now, if you look at the audience, let's go back to our average concurrence. Last year across any tournament, total average of all those average concurrence was about 35,000 viewers watching any esport event. This year, that's a 55,000. So that's a pretty, that's a pretty significant increase. So now is that deflated by a lack of low key grassroots esports events where, Hey, there's more content. Um, there's not going to be as high of an audience watching like a Smash Bros tournament. As there is a, you know, League of Legends or Call of Duty, like, you know, you're not going to see other StarCraft. StarCraft. Um, you know, is that a factor? Yes. You know, mm-hmm. that will inflate the audience towards the premium broadcast. But that's still a lot more eyeballs from our perspective.
0: Mm, that's interesting. And that... Um, and, and to add like extra data to that, Gemba, a sports agency in Australia released a a study, uh, that I shared a few days ago about sports fans and what's, and what, what are they doing like in the wake of it? And just got the thing open here. You know, a lot of sports fans, many of them across all age demographics are spending much more time watching TV, which is obvious. Um, you know, watching the news and movies, but how they're filling the sports gap is many of them watching replays of games. And Mm I said a funny story of my, girlfriend's brother he posted this selfie snapchat that made me laugh he was saying he's a massive Australian football league fan and Mm. yeah he's also a cricket fan and the cricket season's over and he gets excited for the AFL season to kick off and now it's obviously canned so he he was just sitting there on the couch listening to the team theme songs over and over of all of the different teams on Spotify (laughs) because he had no content to consume and I think Mm. that's part of what we're working with some sports with and what we've seen other people do so like the MotoGP is simply just provide something you know there's i've seen rebroadcasts, and i I think a really good suggestion for the afl some people were saying was the next round that's coming up team a versus team b broadcast a match that they played against each other in 1996 and put that on the tv instead so people can at least feel like there's something going on you know and they can and they can watch that you know there's got to be some sort of content you know do Mm -hmm. some twitch streams online do anything and you know i think the sports in australia have been pretty slow to move um there's been two motor racing that have jumped into it, uh, ARG and also the supercars have jumped into it with all of every single one of their real life drivers is going to be driving in the e supercar series. But yeah, a lot of the other sports have been a little bit slow, a little bit slow to jump into that. But most important, no, I mean,
1: the other feeding. funny thing, sorry, the other funny thing that I've seen is uh, I don't know if you've seen the movie Dodgeball, but yeah. There's, yeah. A, there's a bit where they have ESPN8 the Ocho with all the weird, you know, lawn bowling or whatever it is. I yeah. think ESPN actually does have the Ocho content on. So they have that lawn bowling or darts or whatever it is. So, yeah, yeah I mean, b- people need content. Like there's nothing to do. Um, yeah, that's a good. Leagues have been canceled, so.
0: That's a good subreddit if someone wants to subscribe to that, the Ocho. There you go. I didn't know where it came from. So that's that's where it came from. A lot of weird, wonderful sports. You know, like the cheese mm-hmm. wheel rolling down the hill. People oh, my God. It after it. Like, yeah, all that kind of that's stuff. It's, it it's pretty interesting to watch.
1: No, I mean, I think uh, motorsports is, uh, you know, probably it's the most interesting time for them, right? Because if you, truly, if you truly think about e-racing or sim racing compared to real racing, there's not really a big difference. Like you could have, and I, I believe there's a content show called World's Fastest Gamer where it's the experiment of taking these sim race drivers and actually putting them in race cars... Um, and I think the first year's winner, uh Rudy Van Buren, actually won and then made went to Formula Two and raced there. So it's it's fascinating. You know, you've NASCAR, uh esports NASCAR on Fox TV, like premium linear broadcast reaching um pretty significant viewership. I think it was like 20 million or something like that. So huge numbers for them.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I was on a I was on a um an Australian racing podcast yesterday talking about mm-hmm. it, and they said exactly the same thing. And the same is, you know, with some of our previous podcasts to do with like Jamie from Veloci Esports, who were in yeah. the middle of this whole F1 thing. and And one of their drivers won the world's fastest gamer as well, James Baldwin. And oh, saying that it makes sense because if you're playing NBA 2K, there's not too many transferable skills. Yes, you might be able to learn some basic mechanics of the game. Yes, might you might be able to learn some basic strategy. But like the fitness and the, and the speed and all of that kind of stuff, you're not getting in it whatsoever.
1: The uh, only I, like, I can't compare Faker to LeBron James in good faith from an athletic yeah. perspective. From a mental game perspective, yes. but yeah, exactly. Right now. Come
0: on. Yeah, game IQ and decision making, yeah. yes. But yeah, there's so much other stuff you can't get out of that. The only closest one I've ever seen was... Arguably the greatest featherweight fighter of all time, Max Holloway from Hawaii, recently lost the belt to an Australian, which Mm -hmm. which I'm happy about, obviously. Um, but he said that his first, I think it was his first few fights in the UFC, he never had a striking coach the whole time. He would play UFC three or UFC two, whichever game was out at that time. He'd pop off combos in that and then he'd get his mate to hold pads for him. And then he would say, well, if it works in the game, I could just throw those combos in the ring. And hey, it worked for him for a while. And you know, he won a few, he won a few matches like that, but. You're right. Besides that, there's not much. And it's great to see now that there's so many pathways now in. And one of the ways that Jamie explained it is that Go-karting is kind of the entry level, as seen with the industry. You know, as your a kid, you do go-karting, and that's when you start to get a feel for the driving and the lines and, you know, the competition. But now, that's prohibitively expensive in itself. That's $100,000 a year yeah. for you to compete in. I mean, how many people in the world have $100,000 a year? That's like, what, 6x the minimum wage in America? And that's got to be your expendable income, not your whole income. So that's crazy. So now, they're using the sim racing as the way to get in using things like, you know, James Baldwin won that million-dollar real-life McLaren racing contract through winning the world's fastest game last year. Um, You know, and and you're seeing um, there was that time... Trial event where it was a, a sim racer beat a, a prior Formula One driver and a current Formula E champion, you know, on the track. And also he was saying that there are sim races now being used to test the cars in the sim before they put the cars on the road or even modem simulators here in Australia yeah. is an eight way pneumatic sim where you put on an Oculus Rift, you put on a, a Corsair headset. I know because I sponsored them with that. Um, mm-hmm. and you, you jump in a track. You know, you, you're strapped in into a cage. You've got the, the wheel in front of you. They've got an F1 wheel and they've got another st- type of racing wheel. And I found like when I tried to crash into the wall in that, I had my flight or flight response kick in. Like yeah. I was overwhelmed yeah. because it, it felt so realistic. But they're saying that so many drivers now practice on that because track time expensive. You've got insurance, oh, yeah. you got tires, you've got engines that blow up. Well, so I think you know, even
1: goes all over the world, right? So yeah. what, you're going to, like, you, you think the racer is just going to be like, all right, I'm racing in Australia. Conditions are probably the same as Italy. You know, I'll just get a good night's sleep. You know, I'll take a couple weeks off, go to the track, hop in, do one practice, and then we'll go, no, there, you know, all yeah. these tracks, like, there's so much technology, Um, you know, computer vision, uh, algorithms, all this stuff to basically, like, map these tracks in, you know, photorealistic detail. And it yeah. really is a one to one so if I'm juan Pablo Montoya or whoever it is, I can you know practice in the in the sim on my way to the track, okay, I know the turns, I know how long I need to brake. I know when I need to accelerate I'm ready to go, I'll just do one practice test um and hop into the hop into the track
0: yeah and the and the other thing that um they were saying on the it was it's the breaking light podcast that i was mm. that I was on yesterday, the other thing that they said was that they're excited to have weekly content now with the eSupercars series because like I've got their um, 2019 calendar open here and they've got one or at best two races a month on. Mm -hmm. Whereas eSports, there's things happening all the time. Like even at at one stage in 2018 in Australia, there was five CSGO tournaments happening at once. There Mm -hmm. was like the Cyber Gamer Professional League. um, There was the ESL AUNZ League. Um, and there was an ESCA Mountain Dew League, and then there was a qualifier for the BenQ um, Zowie Finals in Southeast Asia, and another qualifier, I think it was for the DreamHack Open. So there's so much content and all the time for people to participate in, whereas, you know, a lot of these traditional sports people, especially, say, with the supercars, because it's limited to Australia only, it's limited by budget and population, you know, they've got to ship those things around the whole time um so they're really looking forward to that fact of you know being able to get so much more the other thing that they said as well that i never thought about too much is it will allow for personalities to shine a little bit more too because they're used to um you know the drivers having a helmet on and you know, worried about dying at any minute if they yeah, crash. Exactly. So it's not like they're going to talk much. But now they said they can hear them talking a bit of smack. They can talk, you know, between the matches. You know, they can mic them up while they're playing and listen to them. And you can get those awesome moments, like in the Oceanic Pro League, here in Australia, League of Legends. They call it like mic drop, where they yeah, you know, exactly. record the the stupid things that are people saying between. And that's it's it's funny how so many things from that are commonplace in esports still is unknown completely to traditional sports. Mm -hmm. You know, when I was a a Battlefield 2 internet radio commentator in 2010, we used to do that. We used to be in their Ventrilo server and we used to cut to the team and would listen to what Team Carnage was saying at any one time. You could hear their commander, you know, spotting enemies and telling squad one to go this way and squad two to pick up the tank and that kind of stuff too. Mm -hmm. But still like things like that are so new to sport.
1: No, I mean, yeah, I'll, I'll take you back even further. Uh, something that's fascinating in, uh, kind of the United States around, uh, football and the NFL is, um, before Madden, the EA, uh, game, you would never have a, um, a headset mic for the quarterback. You would never oh. hear, hot you know, it was always the broadcasters in the window and then Madden, John Madden, put that in the game. He's like, "I want to hear the quarterback go hut hut or you know shotgun or whatever the play call is." And the gamers love that so much. And the broadcast talent heard that they're like, "That's incredible. We got to put that on NBC." Um, so it's so cool to kind of see that ebb and flow. Yeah. It's not something new. It's you know, Battlefield Two is a pretty old game. You know, it's some. It's that trend has been happening um, for a long time. There has been this informal relationship between sports and gaming and now you're really starting to see esports particularly now with um, racing bring those two worlds together closer than they've ever been before
0: mm. yeah for sure i have to correct myself on the date it was 2008 not 2010 yeah. when i was commentating battlefield because 2010s when bad company 2 came out and that was the death of battlefield esports it was very unfortunate <laughs> so is there any is there any other interesting interesting data or stats that that you guys are seeing what about what about um twitch versus youtube versus mixer in this time
1: yeah we actually just released a uh, co-published report today with uh stream elements who's the um uh you know they're the great broadcasting tool highly recommend that um everyone use them um and really what was fascinating around um what we showed was, I think, uh, you know, if you think about Mixer, this is the platform backed by Microsoft. They just brought over Ninja, Shroud, uh, Antimunition, whoever does King Gothleon, Like, they brought over some major talent. Um, and I think during this quarter, Q1 of 2020 we were really expecting them to be one of the big players in the space. Like also, if you look at what Microsoft gaming is doing at a big picture level, you have X cloud going on their They're kind of mobile cloud gaming solution. You have, um, their, uh, Xbox games pass subscription service launching, um, which is pretty great. I highly recommend everyone pick it up. It's like Netflix for games. So you have all these cool gaming pieces that they've really made an effort to kind of like, take over um, the gaming space. And then you look back at the numbers like, hey, let's take a look at their streaming platform here. Um, and it's only 2% among the total uh, North American distributors, only 2% of the content watched. So 65% of the audience is watching on Twitch, 22% on YouTube. Um, and then Facebook, which was neck and neck with Mixer earlier. I think Facebook was like 3%, Mixer was like 2 or 1%. Um, you know, last quarter, last or around this time last year, Facebook is at 11% in Q1 2020. That That yeah. is incredible growth. That's 10% growth for that product. Yeah, that's funny. So, uh, And then let's let's flip that back and let's go, okay, like, let's look more at the stats platform-wide and see what's happening. Like, we get the audience. Maybe people aren't using Mixer. They don't feel encouraged. Ninja is scary. Like, he's going to attract all my viewers. I need to go to a different platform not the case, seventeen percent of the total airtime broadcast so broadcasting airtime comes from mixer. like how do you make that conversion? Seventeen percent of streaming happens on mixer. Only two mm-hmm. percent of watchers watch on mixer.
0: Like, yeah wow on there yeah, I think the way the way someone's explained it to me in the in the past is that you know streamers are going to mixer because Twitch is so saturated, and mm-hmm. that you've got a higher possibility of low to medium success on mixer. But a very low possibility of high success. Whereas on Twitch, you've got a very low possibility of even low to median success, but a very small possibility of extremely high success. So then it's like, do you play those numbers? But then like what you were saying is that it seems like Mixer is also quite saturated right now with Probably. so much more, so much more, uh, stream time versus viewership time. And that's, that's a stat actually that, that I forgot to ask you as well. Are we seeing more people stream on the platforms because of, of COVID and being stuck at home?
1: Yeah. So let's see if I have that. Yeah, absolutely. So in Q1, we had around 100 million hours streamed. Mm-hmm. Um, and typically, another interesting th- trend that we always see around February is uh, a dip in broadcasts and consumption. Um, uh, what, what I've heard, I've asked our engineer, I'm like, what do you think about that? Like, what's the deal there? Is it a bad time for gaming? Um, and what he thinks is it's kind of like a mental thing. like. People, it's cold. It's the coldest time of the year um, in kind of the north, northern hemisphere here. Um, and we're not really encouraged to do things. Like, there's not a lot of motivation. So we did see that dip this year. Um, that dip was much less significant than it was last year. I think this year dipped only 2%, whereas last year dipped around 10. That's kind of the average. Um, okay. but let's talk about growth overall for from Q4 to Q1 of last year, you had that 100 million. Q1, you had 121 million hours of content. So that's 21 million hours uh, more streamed. Um, and then if we play that back, let's look at consumption. You had about 2.6 uh, million hours consumed and around 3 million, um, or sorry, 2.6 to 3.1. So pretty, pretty impressive uh, consumption um, quarter of a quarter.
0: So, where would where would you start streaming today? If you were going Uh, to start from i I'll
1: tell you right now. Uh, So let's let's go back to that hours streamed and kind of use that as you know what's saturated from a creator perspective. Mm. Three percent of the total content streamed is on Facebook, and then eight percent is on YouTube. Twenty two percent of the content watched is on YouTube, and eleven percent is is watched on Facebook. So, those platforms are are definitely two to watch. When I look at who's trending on those platforms at like a broad scale, I think Facebook kind of rules um, Latam and APAC. There's a lot of uh, consumption there. Um, so, if you look at the top creators, like Nonblue, I think is one of them. Um, I'll tell you right now who else is on the top of Facebook recently. But you have a lot of Southeast Asia. PUBG Mobile is one of the top channels consistently. G2G, Ninja TV. So you have a lot of APAC and mobile gaming creators on Facebook. So that could be interesting for a North American broadcaster to see if there's you know a way they could try to secure market share among there. With YouTube, you have a bit broader of an audience, but you have a lot of India right now um, on top. And then you have a lot of Latin America and Brazil as well as the top regions for that. So I think... When we look at the numbers overall, um, twitch definitely controls the North American audience. There is a lot of saturation there. I think from a technology perspective, uh they need to do a bit more to kind of invest in creator satisfaction and building more tools to encourage streaming. I think they're lagging there. I think YouTube um is really positioned for a lot of growth this year, um and that's because of two reasons: one. Um, you know, they've made major acquisitions around, uh, securing, uh, broadcast rights for all of the Activision Blizzard contracts. They've grabbed Courage, um, Mm. who out of all players that have switched platforms, his audience has decreased the least. Um, I think he's only lost like 50% of his audience, whereas Ninja's lost 80 to 90% of his total streamers going or total viewers going to, uh, Mixer. Yeah, well. So uh yeah, YouTube is a place I would check out and then Facebook as well.
0: Interesting. And also, you know, YouTube have brought new people into streaming, right? With Laserbeam, you know, the eighth most watched creator on YouTube in twenty nineteen, according to YouTube Rewind and and Muse as well. You know, someone with multi million subscribers, two powerhouse Aussie creators that are, mm-hmm. you know, ridden the Fortnite bandwagon, you know, to the largest extent have started. And it was a really interesting thing for me watching the Australian Open charity. Tournament, $100,000 to charity. There was a lot of traditional Mm. people in there, you know, football players, racing drivers, comedians, celebrities playing with, you know, esports professionals and content creators. And the amount of Twitch viewership on that stream was less than Laserbeam gets streaming on YouTube at home. And I thought Mm. that was an interesting one too. And that's, that's been a constant fight with me internally is the cost comparison. So if Mm. I'm going to do a 12 month campaign with a, um with the, with the new flashpoint league that's coming out for example sure. you know how many like how many concurrent viewers does the flashpoint league have do you know off the top of your head roughly
1: yeah, i can tell you right now give me one moment here uh they're doing all right 31,000
0: 31,000 yeah so so ninja on twitch at his peak was around 31,000 as well right like when he was still
1: uh, uh ninja did Ninja did, I think, around sixty or seventy at his peak.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, so without using direct examples, then let's just say, okay, I want to sponsor a tournament, and mm. that tournament's going to net me a certain amount of hours streamed, which is similar mm. or, or less because you were saying it's kind of ten percent, you know, compared to the wider platform. But that doesn't mm. account for one to one. But you know, a content creator like a ninja or someone else is often streaming anywhere from three to six hours a day, three to six days a week. So if I'm to sponsor a tournament for that whole period of time, am I getting my money's worth when a tournament has to pay for the facility? It has to pay for dozens of staff, et cetera. Whereas if you're working with someone like Laserbeam and you want to buy a dedicated video of him, it's a, it's a hundred thousand dollars plus. He will draw for you. And this is using changing examples to YouTube. He'll draw for you five million views of a highly targeted, highly specific audience. You know, can you get that? For hundred thousand dollars, if you spend that on Team Liquid, if you spend that on Yeah. Clan, if you you're, spend that on someone else,
1: you're, I think you're tr- you're touching on a really interesting trend, um, and I think that is going to change a lot um, in the next couple months. But I think what you saw three years ago was kind of a rush to esports um, with brands, and you know you had Brisk doing buys, you had a lot of companies doing buys that didn't really result in a lot because. Uh, I don't think the brands understand uh, number one, really where the audience was, which was mm-hmm. in these influencer uh, marketing and um, among these influencers. Um, and now you, you have kind of a total reverse where I don't think brands really are as, as motivated to work with like a flashpoint. They want Ninja. They want that Ninja Drake thing. They want courage. They want Tim, the man, they want whoever, but, I think that trend is about to flip-flop again. Because if you really think about it, what's more valuable to a brand? Is it a disengaged, burnt-out creator who streams 8 hours a day? He doesn't really care about this. He's not organized. Um, He's doing this from his bedroom. Is that more valuable for a brand? Or is it premium content where I can build a campaign around a brand? I have a full-service marketing agency working for me. I have analytics. I have all of these other tool sets at my disposal, and I can build much more valuable content. So I think that is going to shift. You have some major companies ent- entering the space there. I'm not sure if you've heard of Venn TV. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're, they're on the path to do something interesting. And I really think that you're going to have a couple more companies like that that pop up and go, creator burnout is a very real thing. Uh, Shroud is not streaming as much anymore. I think you have a lot of creators that are just super burnt out don't really want to do this they've reached their peak they have their money they're done they don't want to do it anymore um and instead you're going to have these uh t- television networks basically popping up making like cheddar i think is a good solution or bar stool where it's more about the content that you can build around a content network versus an influencer marketing campaign
0: mm. yeah that's definitely an interesting one and I, and I guess that's kind of similar to what caffeine's doing right You know, no one really knew what Caffeine's plan was for a while, but they all seem to be based around shows. They've got a rap battle show. They've Mm -hmm. got Offset doing his show with his friends. They don't seem to be as focused at all around, you know, acquiring the Ninja or the Shroud or anyone like that to come and stream on their platform. It's all got to be content-based.
1: Yeah, and I mean, think, think about it this way, like... It, let's say, let's say my hunch is right. About minutes watched or minutes, yeah, minutes watched, hours watched uh, mm. becomes your new gold metric for cross media measurement, because cookies are going away as well, which is a big concern for advertisers, because I can't track um, my audiences effectively and I can't really track ROI, because because mm. that's disappearing. So let's say, let's say my hunch is right. Like minutes watched is going to be our new gold metric you know, what's more valuable, again, I'm, you know, I'm going to pay Ninja for one hour to stream about Hershey's um, and he's going to get, call it 15,000 concurrence or I can pay a content network to have some kind of branded integration, run commercial mid-roll with them. Sure, their audience, let's say their audience is 3,000, but they're broadcasting 24-7. What's Mm going to be more bits watched at the end of the day? The Mm -hmm. twenty. content. It's all about 24 seven content. There are a lot of companies moving towards that realm right now. Um, and if you're a brand, that's something I would get into one of those before it gets too expensive.
0: Yeah. It's an interesting one because it's, it's like the resurgence of traditional coming back again, right? It's like a TV channel. Things are on 24 seven. And we know that we know that in the past, you know, general esports shows haven't worked, you know, Mm -hmm. because, it's like if I'm a League of Legends fan, I don't want to sit through twenty-five minutes of Dota discussion. I have no idea what's going on and no interest. So I just want to go straight to well, say if I'm a Counter Strike fan, that's why HLTV.org has so much um, you know, I saw those stats from Tort Delaney, I think it was comparing those websites. It has so much natural traffic from people. And when I was a CSGO player, I'd open HLTV.org every single day. You know, I'd never have to be prompted to do it because it was hyper specific to me. It was all about only Counter Strike. And that's an interesting thing to me too. Do you think that, do you think that people are going to be annoyed because it's not on demand? So they have to tune in at a certain time if it's a 24-hour channel?
1: Um, I mean, I don't think your 24-7 content uh, negates your ability to be on demand. Like this is all digital now, right? I can um, basically, I think the 24-7 is, you know, you're releasing your content at that live window. And then here's what happens to that content. It gets chopped up immediately into 10 second clips, which then get broadcast as your marketing material across Instagram or TikTok or whatever it is. So there's your marketing. Then you bucket it together and you have your premium website where either you can pay-per-view for VOD content and charge a premium amount, or you can just release that free with more mid-roll or subscription service. Mm. So you know, I think I think choice is good. I think we're always gonna get choice. What would be interesting for me is if, you know, you, I think you have right now, you have the leaders, uh, the OTT leaders in VOD. Um, and I'm not just talking about YouTube. I'm talking about Netflix. I'm talking about Disney plus I'm talking about Hulu. What I would like to see, and I think Hulu is doing a pretty good job of this is how those adapt to more live content, because it is interesting to have, you know, this is my first opportunity to watch this, especially with something like sports, where it is important to watch live, you know, you need to be able to react with your buddies. Like I, I think it's great that League of Legends, um, you know, has VOD content and I could go back and rewatch any minute, but I don't want to do that. I already saw the score. Like that's not interesting. Like I need the next live sport. So.
0: Mm. Yeah. Some good points, Some good points for sure. And I had, I had something else to bring up there, but I forgot it. So yeah, it, obviously it doesn't matter so many, so many numbers. To run oh, through in my head today. Yeah, I really enjoyed this. I really enjoyed this chat. Yeah, answering yeah, yeah. a few questions that I've had, and yeah, it's just still all the time. Just that, you know, what's what's a, what's a viewer worth, and it's there's never a straightforward answer, and because it's it's always like, well, what does the influencer want to charge, or what does the platform want to charge? What are their overheads? Like, yes you know, the overheads for uh, an influencer are quite low and people will often say, you know, I can't believe that you'd pay an influencer $20,000 to do a shout out. And it's like, yeah, but that influencer has more reach than your 10 local newspapers themselves. So how much, and, and also their overheads are so much lower. So maybe, you know, it's, it's a better business model what they're doing sometimes. Because, you know, Ninja literally streaming out of his bedroom to 650,000 people with Drake, with a manager who's his wife. And yeah. at a computer that's worth a few thousand dollars. And that's it. That's his overhead costs in a house he already has because he's, he's living there anyway. He has to live in a house. So, you know, you compare that to dozens of editors and field reporters and a printing press and physicality and distribution networks of, of a newspaper, like it seems to make sense there. But but there's always, you know, as I say, different horses are different courses, right? Sure. When there's always different reasons why you sponsor things. You know, maybe your brand isn't, Mm -hmm. isn't suitable to gaming. Maybe your brand is hyper applicable to esports. Maybe your Steel series in 2006, when they sponsored basically every Counter Strike 1.6 team in the world in the top 10. You know, at the same time, they were sponsoring SK in, you know, Germany slash Sweden, really, you know, Fnatic in, really Sweden as well, their team. They're sponsoring, you know, EG in North America, Team Immunity in Australia. They were kind of like Intel at that stage as well. You know, Intel sponsored the number one eSports team in every region in the world and SteelSeries did too. So, you know, it makes perfect sense. So at that stage, it wouldn't make sense for SteelSeries to sponsor anything but eSports because that's what their whole thing was. Their tagline was winning is everything. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's you know, they had the SteelSeries Mouse. It was purely for FPS games, et cetera, et cetera, all that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I think there's there's an interesting nugget there to touch on. I'll ask you this because I'm sure this is something uh, you potentially try to sell as an idea a lot, but what's... Okay, so let's talk specifically with inv- influencers. You know, what is yeah. more valuable for a brand? Is it one Ninja shout out or is it uh, 20 different streamers who have significantly less uh, lower or significantly lower audiences than Ninja? But we're doing a combined campaign with all of them. And perhaps in aggregate, their reach is larger than Ninja's. Because I'm hitting that whole demographic versus just Fortnite gamers who like Fortnite, but they're not watching Ninja and they're not watching esports. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Part of it is what you're trying to do, I guess. And I talked about this in some recent content, which I watched this, uh, YouTube video talking about celebrities and the drop in, in advertising with celebrities. A lot of it is because their audience is too wide. So if you're going to do an influencer campaign with Hugh Jackman, you know, his audience is, is kind of undefinable because as many people follow him who are middle aged women who have followed him through, you know, his career could be as many as nerds because he's Wolverine Mm -hmm. um, and could be as many as fitness fanatics who could be of various ages because of his of his body and his physique. Similar with, say, Chris Hemsworth, you know, followed by a certain condition of people because of the way he looks, also followed by a certain condition of people for the way he looks in his fitness and his app, et cetera. And that, and that um, article or video claims that Chinese companies are the ones that are working with these celebrities because it's building trust. A lot of people in the West don't trust the Chinese company. They don't understand the branding, the messaging, the product, So they want to work with this kind of influencer and that's their goal. So sometimes it's like that, you know, working with some platforms or some some products in the past where they're trying to use the name of this person to build trust for their company, but also maybe to bring in others. So let's say they've got a referral program or they're like Streamlabs or Stream Elements. If you go to their front page, the people plastered all over the front pages, here's who uses our product. We got Pokimane, we got Ninja, we got Doctor Disrespect. So then when a lower level or an entry level streamer comes onto that website, they say, well, actually that's going to provide me with a lot of confidence that then I should do that. But then also there's that same question of what you're saying, which is around the reach, you know, is it worth working with one ninja? Or is it worth working with 20 people who are, you know, an, a, a, f- a 15th of the size of ninja? Like it's not always a direct, yeah, it's not always a direct answer, I guess, once again. And it's, it's around to yeah, it's around exactly what you're trying to do. I think a lot of our work here at Big Esports is working with some of the larger size people on more complicated campaigns for mm-hmm. a lot of that similar reason. Working with Unicorn, an esports wagering company to promote their products, um, U-Mode, which is a which is a betting product where you bet on yourself to play ranked matches, it's hard to understand for people. As well as you know, working with a CD key company coming up too, talking to them about their sales process. Usually it's people going to the website and then the second thing they'll do is Google, are they legit? <laughs> and then the answer will come back is yes, and then they'll come back onto the site. So it might make sense for them to work with a large influencer who can say, yes, you know, my word is is what I, you know, influencers rely on social capital, essentially. They're using their social capital to then sell to that kind of website to say, yes, I, I provide this as legitimate. The same reason why um, when I was at Thermaltake, when we launched TTE Sports uh, peripheral, um, the peripheral arm of, of the components company. You know, mm-hmm. I sponsored a professional player who also managed because you did that in these days, a Starcraft 2 guy and it's called Jared or Pig and he's a commentator these days and a, and a Twitch streamer. And I brought him directly to the sales reps at the at, at the um, e-tail and retail stores and he mm-hmm. would whip out his TT Dragon bag which had all of these products in it and say, this is what I just used to compete at IM Cologne in Germany. And this is why I like these products and it instilled that confidence in them. So just as much as B2C of him trying to sell to Starcraft fans, I also wanted to use him as a B2B as much as possible mm. to instill that confidence. Cause also at that stage too, Thermaltake had a bad run of, of cases and power supplies, um, a couple of bad batches. So consumer confidence was low, and but so was the B2B sales confidence. And, you know, that, that accounts as, as much as we would like to ignore that. Um, you know, I think with people who work in marketing and gaming, it's not all just about the cool online campaign. A lot of the time it's about what the local sales rep at Best Buy says you should buy that Razor instead of the Corsair for your, you know, for your fifteen year old for Christmas. So it was about instilling that confidence. Or when I worked with Avant when I was at Corsair and esports team, Mm -hmm. I brought them to the JB Hi-Fi, which is basically like Best Buy, the JB Hi-Fi Internal Roadshow. I brought one of their professional League of Legends players and their videographer. Videographer did some content while we were there of some new products that we just launched, which was a good co-op campaign. But also the League of Legends player was there to answer questions and say, yeah, I use this mouse. Um, I sit on this gaming chair. and This is why I like the features. This is why I like the products. And that internal sales conference is basically all of the people who work in the game section are there. So they're soaking up that info and they're going, wow, like a real professional player is telling me what the good features are of this mouse and what matters to him. So that's something that then they can instill some confidence in them to push out. So there's always, always so many different reasons. And... I think that you know it, it goes wider and a bit more of a ranty. It, it, it goes a bit wider into gaming and esports as to, it's not always obvious why people spend money in some places. Sometimes money gets spent because in a corporate company, if that money doesn't get spent, it disappears. So it might look like a dumb campaign, but they literally just need to spend money in there. Sometimes it's yeah. a test. You know, I I got told that um, you know, a big quick service retail restaurant in Australia, you know, the reason that their um exposure was so low when they first entered into eSports is because it was literally just a test and they wanted to see public sentiment. All they wanted was a logo, that's it. They don't want anything else. And they just want to monitor social networks and say, Hey, is this a positive thing? Is this a negative? And then if it's positive, which it was, then the next year they're gonna do a little bit more integration and the next year a little bit more integration until they're a bit more fully in. Or even Red Bull. You know, I've been told in the past that people work with Red Bull and Red Bull say, no logos, don't put our logo anywhere. All we want is a can. Every time you do content, I mean, look at the Chiefs eSports Club. They're sponsored by Red Bull and they hadn't had a logo in their jersey until recently. But if you look at all of their content, there's a Red Bull can sitting on the desk beside the player, behind them, there's can in hand, they're taking a sip. And, you know, Bang Energy is following the same thing with influencers too. They're paying influencers to sip the can during the streams or the way that I worked with some... Um, reviewers when I was at Corsair, which was to support them with test bench systems. So every time a new CPU comes out, of course, it's powered by a Corsair power supply. Of course, it's partnered with Corsair RAM. It's the highest quality and they want to get the best efficiency to do the test with. So yeah, I guess once again, from my side, there's not always a clear clear answer, but there definitely is a rise in micro-influencers. There's definitely a rise in those, even the 50 to 100k influencers compared to what they used to be. And I think that some Guys at the top are starting to realize that they need to lower their prices a little bit to be able to compete with that. That one channel that gets you a million views on a video is not worth as much as you know ten channels to get you a hundred thousand each, which is the which is the same viewership. So you need to adjust yeah. the price accordingly.
1: No, I, I think a good place, and I, I realize we're we're getting towards the uh, the end here of the podcast, but I think I think a good just thought to kind of wrap up on here is, um, you know, I think as we've discussed, like, I think we've se- there's a lot of gray, right? Like, it's hard to find the exact answer. Um, but what I love about what what I get to do every day is, you know, yes, there's not always that 100% answer, but it's more about like telling the story, um, and providing the context around why, you know, why this is the way it is. Um, and that's why I love working in data is, you know, there's so much to kind of pull out from everywhere. Um and reinforce that narrative with uh, hard factual evidence. So yeah, you know, I'm sure that's something you deal with even more than I, you know, I, I, my job's easy because I just get to pull XX number, X percentage change. Mm-hmm. Here's why this attributes to blah, 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 and then move mm-hmm. on. But, you know, in, in a sense, like that's an even cooler story for you because there are a lot more intangibles that you get to kind of reinforce that narrative with.
0: Yeah, think think about it partly this way. You know, I did some great um had some great discussions with the director at KPMG here locally, and before the whole COVID thing, you know, we had a plan to to do some work with some of their directors. Mm. And a few of the things that struck them really hard was, um, Laserbeam gets 130 million video views a month on YouTube alone, mm. which makes him bigger than most of the TV networks in Australia combined just by himself. You know, mm. he's got a small management team who I know personally, and like one editor. Um, who who edits like him and other people's stuff as well. So his overheads are extremely low. What happens if if him or like what AJ said? What happens if PewDiePie endorses a political candidate? How much how much reach, exposure, viewership, coverage do they have versus even Donald Trump? You know they got more followers than someone like him, um, and they mean more to certain people than him as well. So if you're, you know, a political candidate and you really want to aim at 16-year-olds because you know you're going to run when they're 18, you want them to vote for you, is that yeah. somewhere you should go to? If you're spending a lot of money in TVC, spending a lot of money in on news.com.au and on banner ads and such, is it you know, is it, is influencer marketing something you should pay attention to? Because like you said with the 24/7 content, it's still early days. It's still early to jump in with a lot of these influencers and you know, I have case studies of an influencer um, who I know personally and, and I know his manager personally, and he got paid 75,000 USD to do a, a complete video for a brand. The whole thing was an ad. It was very well done. It was, mm. it, it went viral. It got a million views in the first month and it's sitting at a couple mil now. I have it pinned to the top of my, um, mm. uh, top of to my browser because I bring this up a lot and it's, it drove for this digital. Um, company, so mainly they're selling a digital product and they're through a website. They've got very low overheads. It drove for them thirty to fifty thousand accounts and somewhere between five hundred k to seven hundred fifty thousand dollars revenue. So yes, it sounds insane at the start. You're like, what the hell? You paid a nineteen year old seventy five thousand dollars. That's ridiculous. And you're like, yeah, but they got a one hundred percent increase on that. They got a ten x. So it sounds perfect. And their overheads, you know, their profit margin would would be something like ninety eight percent. It'd be ridiculously high. They don't have many staff and they've basically just got a server and some proprietary technology that they've developed and that's what they're selling. Similar to there was a cool video that I watched recently about Vicstar saying he made two million dollars roughly USD. Um sorry, two million I think he said two million pounds out of out of uh Minecraft servers as mm. a whole, which is selling admin slots and, and things like that too right. and, and selling different merchandise and access and whatever else, VIP slots that they sell.
1: It's all Minecraft. virtual games. Yeah. yeah,
0: it's all virtual goods. So it's, it's crazy. But, you know, I think it's about bringing that, um, into their minds because I remember talking to a politician a couple of years ago about the rise in gaming and esports and, and, um, kind of pushing them to say, Hey, what's some support you can provide, you know, in the state for companies looking to spin up in here and, and to develop and grow. And I saw the cogs turning in his head when he was saying, wait a minute, my son, plays Minecraft all the time. And he always wakes up at 6am on a Thursday to watch the latest, I think it was Dan TDM video that's released. And Dan TDM is doing a tour here and he keeps bugging me to buy him tickets all the time. And every time my son's friends come over, all they want to do is play Minecraft together on their iPads. And then maybe that means it's not just a silly thing that just my kid does. Maybe it's a silly thing that everybody's kid does. So maybe there is an audience here. And just because I don't respect it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. And I think that's... That's the interesting thing that I'm seeing with l- legitimacy that's being added into gaming and esports now. You're seeing these traditional companies now go, whoa, we really need to pay attention to this. You're seeing the WME IMGs, you're seeing the CAAs, yeah. you're seeing the Foxes, the, you know, et cetera, et cetera, come into this space and say, okay, this is something we should respect because there are 16-year-olds earning $50,000 a year illegally driving Lambos here. Oh, sorry, fifty thousand dollars a month, illegally driving Lambos here. There are, you know, people like the people like Mr. Beast out there giving away all of this stuff. Oh, yeah. That you know, maybe they should be respected because they're earning twenty times the amount of money that my company does. And just because I don't respect them doesn't mean they don't exist. Yeah, yeah, a lot of great thoughts there. No, absolutely. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, a lot of a lot of data, man. I loved it. I love I love data. I love um. You know, it's and like you said, for you and, and me, like our relationship's an interesting one because yours is feeding that data, and and I, I like to rely on and for this podcast too, I want to rely on you to tell me like what data is important to you because that should be what's important to me, and then after that, for for me internally asking myself is okay, what lens do I put in this data, and how do I communicate that across, and how does you know a lot of my work in the past has been how does that translate to the traditional market. Mm-hmm. How can I explain to someone how esports is or isn't similar to horse racing? How can I explain to someone how esports is and isn't similar to, you know, channel seven, channel nine here in Australia and, and things like that too. So it's great for me. I love working in both of those worlds. I love being that um, translator, you know, between the influencers and the brands and the, and the mainstream audience and that kind of stuff. Platforms like Stream Hatchet just means so much more for me to give me that ammo to be able to throw it there. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah.
1: You, mm-hmm. I mean, you can tell some pretty interesting stories. And, um, you know, anyone who wants to see, you know, I just put together kind of a little COVID market brief. Uh, you can kind of message me for this data and kind of read the insights yourself. Like, it's it's fun to play around with this um, and kind of look at the trends and, you know, try to make light of it. Um, and, you know, I think the the cool thing about Stream Hatchet is we built some really powerful... Uh, bi tools to do that uh really really quickly so kind of leave it there with the uh, the plug there but um yeah always yeah. always happy to talk data yeah
0: and what's what's coming up next for you guys like is there any specific reports you're looking to release any specific trends that you're watching that other people should look at too
1: yeah, uh a couple couple things in the pipeline for us. You know, we just did our uh quarterly uh report there with uh, Streamlabs. So definitely encourage you to uh download it, um pull out some insights. Um and then I would say stay tuned um the next couple months. We you know, we've secured some pretty cool partnerships um with some uh publishers and kind of premier uh esports leagues. I can't really say who on this podcast, but uh, there should be some interesting uh, case studies releasing around how those publishers are going to utilize uh, kind of a data and uh, analytics that we create um, to really enhance their kind of go-to-market um, in esports and gaming. So,
0: Yeah, fantastic. And, you know, like backing that up too, and, and one thing I didn't mention before, you know, my podcast with Jeff Pabst, the Chief Revenue Officer of Face Clan, mm. you know, he... he is perfectly in line with a lot of the stuff what you're saying too. There's not enough data in the market um, within eSports a lot of the time. You can't say, yes, Toyota, I can provide you with an 8% uplift in sales across the US like you could if you worked with the NFL or an NFL team. And mm-hmm. also, you know, he was saying the same stuff that you were too about um, the concern of, of some of these tier one partners not re-signing on for a mm-hmm. second period. And, you know, more data is needed, more information is needed, and selling Esports, and this is more my own words, selling esports less as an investment to brands and more as an advertisement to brands because they're looking at things very differently. You know, brands need some sort of ROI now. Yes, they can have some ROI in the future, but still they need ROI now and they're not, per- and they're not purchasing equity. So they're not able to ride that advantage to a okay. tournament that they sponsored five years ago. It doesn't mean anything now. No one's going back and watching the IPL StarCraft 2 leagues that happened many, many moons ago. You know, most people have forgotten they exist. So. Yeah. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. Uh and you know I think yeah there's it's an interesting time in the market. Um I'm very bullish. I'm um, I'm excited. Uh I think you know it's I'll I'll say this like to people that are looking at how to enter the market like take things with a grain of salt poke poke the boundaries look for the data points um you know yes yes I agree with the you know, almost selfishly, I agree with the narrative that there's not enough data in the market because I think that um, more people need to subscribe to Stream Hatchet or come talk to us because we can help you uh, find that data. But you know I think I think it it is out there, um and it's just a matter of you know finding the right partners who are willing to you know do the due diligence and tell that story for you. You know it's it's not just throw money at the wall for a logo slap and move on. It's not just, you know, buy this franchise slot because we feel like it looks good and they'll take care of us. You know, it is, it is an active experience, but it's gaming, it's fun, it's tech, it's this intersection of a lot of cool uh, trends um, in media and entertainment. Um, and it's just an excellent space for, you know, marketers or whoever it is to find unique ways to activate so you know poke the boundaries take things with grain assaults um and come talk to us
0: uh sounds good and w- where can people follow you guys online if they want to keep up with your content
1: uh so we're we're on twitter that's a good place to find us uh, at Stream @streamhatchet linkedin you can just go to www.streamhatchet.com uh my handle is uh barely baird b a i r l y baird Um, sometimes I, I usually repost our content there. So shameless plug, um, also, but yeah, I mean, keep an eye on our Twitter. We, we post a lot of cool, um, content there almost every week. I believe Um, our team does a really good job on that. It's not just me.
0: (laughs) Fantastic. All right. Thanks so much for joining us today, Bobby. And and thank you to everyone who's listening in whether you're live with us on twitch or or linkedin whether you're watching the vod later on youtube or listening to the audio only podcast we've got a bunch more content coming out soon which includes uh potentially someone appearing from the supercars to talk about from their side you know why they've gone so heavily into esports and why they've taken esports so seriously even before the COVID happens but, but ramping up the efforts into now and we'll have a lot of similar topics coming through on linkedin live which includes a fox sports broadcaster to uh, chat about his side of the fence as well for this thanks for listening everyone Bye for now thanks for tuning into our podcast today for show notes relevant links and upcoming projects you can check us out online at bigesports.gg or follow us on our social medias at big esports